set up here. So uh, this afternoon we uh, continue our series titled The Church. Um, if you don't know already, we're, we're taking eight weeks over the course of the autumn to examine uh, what the church is, uh, why we have the church, who the church is for, uh, along with many other questions. Um, for TJ and I, uh, our prayers uh, as the elders uh, of your church who will be teaching this series over these eight weeks is that you would come to the end of a series uh, not only with a better understanding of why God has given us his bride, uh, the church, but you would also be really, really excited about being a part of the church. Um, it's not just that we know more information about church, we would actually be, be captivated by this idea and this plan and purpose that God has for us. So that's our heart, that your heart would be captured by the magnificence, the beauty, the splendor, uh, the joy of being a member within a local church. Uh, over the course of four weeks in September, we're going to be looking together at the church, and today is week number three, uh, and our time this month is going to consist of uh, part one of the series. So part one is going to be in September. Then in October, we're going to be doing a series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, uh, and that will be over the course of five Sundays in October. And then we're back into the church series in November. That's going to be part two of our series, and this will take us right up to Advent uh, in December. So Christmas is not far away, guys. <laughs> we're close. Uh, just to give you an outline of, of where we're going, uh, today we're going to look at the culture of the church. Uh, next week we're going to look at the mission of the church. Uh, in November, uh, the offices of the church, the gifts of the church, the battle of the church, and the vision of the church. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, TJ has been looking at the birth of the church and the importance of the church. Uh, and I've been so challenged by what TJ has shared within that time. And I know many of us have been challenged too. Uh, and one of the key statements that TJ pointed us towards, which should be up on the screen for us now, um, is this, this idea is, is just so important for us as we think about what it means to be a, a believer. Um, Jesus didn't just save you from something, but to something. Jesus didn't just save you from something, but to something. And that to something is being a part of his body, the local church as it is faithfully and biblically expressed in our particular context, which is Denison Baptist Church here, um, if you feel led to be a part of this church. Uh, praise God that he doesn't only rescue us from the depths of our sin and depravity and the eternity we would face, that would be incredible enough if that's all that God did for us, but he saved us from hell and from separation from him. But praise God, but alongside that, he rescues us into what essentially is an incredible plan and purpose for our lives through his bride, through his body, the church. So I wonder this afternoon, does that excite you? Does that excite you to be a part of his church? Do you wake up on Sundays uh, or do you sit at home during the week? And as you think about the prospect of connecting with a church, is your heart saying, I can't wait. I can't wait to be a part of church today or if it's during the week at some point. I can't wait to connect with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you long to be with the Lord's people? What a challenge. Um, there may be pushback to this right now in your own heart. Um, you're maybe recognizing right now as I say that and, and you might be thinking something to the effect of this. You do not understand how busy I am, Mark. And being committed to church makes my life more busy 
And as a result, it makes my life more chaotic. To which I would then say, you do not understand what it is we're doing when we come together. Uh, or why it is that we are coming together. Or how it is we can be refueled and recharged by being together. The purpose of us gathering together is not just to tick a box and do another activity in our week. It's to empower us. It's to equip us. It's to recharge us. As we gather together, we strengthen one another. Iron sharpens iron. And through his Holy Spirit, we are more equipped for the mission he has called us to. Amen? The reality is for each one of us, if God called you to be a part of his church, then he will equip you to be a part of his church as well. Um, you can rest in the fact that, go, that God knows exactly what he is doing with your life. And he knows what is best for you. And what is best is having your, your relationship with Christ come to life through his bride, the church. Because there is no such thing as a solo Christian. You know, you hear this from time to time. People who think they can have a faith apart from the church. They can express their Christian faith separate from the church. But we cannot live a Christian life apart from the body of Christ. It is completely unbiblical. It is utterly impossible, spiritually speaking. So I would invite you just to, this week to take a moment to, to look at the book of Acts. And look at how the church is birthed. And look at how the church is undeniably essential to every single believer. They met together every single day. We see this in Acts. Why did they do this? Because Jesus died for his bride. And as we'll see next week, the church is a primary way from which the kingdom of God is brought to a lost and a hurting world. So I know I'm kind of repeating a lot of what TJ has preached on these last couple of weeks, but it's just so important we get this. Repetition is good for us. Uh, not only for this afternoon, but also for the rest of our lives. So take time just to meditate on these truths. And as we take time to recognize the absolute necessity of the church, what we're going to do today is take time to look at the culture of the church. Uh, we're going to be thinking about what the culture of the church ought to be as we look at God's word and, as, and then as we apply God's word in 2023 in our own particular contexts and situations. And to do this, we're going to read two passages. First one is Ephesians 4. Uh, we're basically continuing on the pattern of thought that TJ has been looking at over the last couple of weeks through the Apostle Paul's exhortation. And the second passage is a parable of Jesus from Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiven servant. So let's begin by looking together at Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. Uh, I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says, uh, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore, uh, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal, Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Then have a look at Matthew 18, <clears throat> starting in verse 21. We read this from Matthew's gospel account. Uh, then Peter approached him 
and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, <clears throat> his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. So father, we, we just recognize the weightiness of these passages and we, we just invite you to come uh, and we, we ask that, that by your spirit you would illuminate our hearts and minds, help us to understand what it is you have to say to us Lord, I pray that, that we would choose not to doubt what your word says, but, but we would choose to, to respond in faith. Lord, I pray for conviction of sin. Uh, I pray um, that we would be not only aware of our sin, but we would choose to repent and we would choose to act differently. We ask that you would strengthen our hearts and that people would ever increasingly see Christ in us as we apply this passage and these words to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this afternoon, as we examine the culture of the church, um, we're going to be taking time to look at one aspect of church culture. Uh, one aspect that if we do not get right, would, we, would mean that we would have to, to shut up shop, basically. Um, we would have to close Denison Baptist Church. That's how important it is that we get this aspect of the church right. Uh, so when I speak of culture, what do I mean by that? Uh, what are we talking about when we speak of the culture of a church or church culture? Um, that word culture, it's a word that gets branded about a lot, uh, both in our world and in the church. Um, the danger is that we fail to understand what it actually means. Um, it can become uh, a Christian buzzword, societal buzzword. Um, it's not a word that's directly used in scripture, but like so many things, it's a principle that is found as we understand what God's word means. And there's a really helpful definition from Scott Sundquist and Ken Myers <coughs> in their book, Understanding Christian Mission. They define the word culture in this way. They say this, the sum total of the learned patterns of thought and behavior. The sum total of the learned patterns of thought and behavior. In other words, what it is that people collectively think and what it is that, that people collectively do within the life of the church. 
And culture is not referring to us all thinking and doing the same thing. That, that's not what we're talking about. But culture is culture. When we see similarities and commonalities in our mentalities and our actions. There's a lot of ease there, but I hope you understand what I'm saying there. When we see similarities and commonalities in our mentalities and actions. Uh, we actually talk about what our culture ought to be within our membership covenant every February. And we gather together as a church family and we unpack what it means to be a member of this local church. Uh, and if you remember, in our membership covenant, we have seven loves. We have three parts of our vision and we have seven gospel habits. And the seven gospel habits in particular are what it is that the culture of, of Denison Baptist Church should look like. Um, so let's just have a, have a moment to unpack these, to understand what the culture of church should be. The first one is this. We are a people who have who have courageous faith, courageous faith. That is, we step out in full and complete trust that God is going to go before us in our lives. So no matter what we face, God is going to go with us, and, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Courageous faith. That is so important. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So let us be courageous in the power of the Holy Spirit to be men and women who are faith-filled and faithful. Courageous faith. Number two, empowered love. We recognize that unless the Holy Spirit works in us, we cannot fulfill the great command. It is impossible for us to, to muster up the ability to love God and to love other people. It has to be a work of the Spirit. It has to be empowered. Number three, joyful service. We serve God and one another through the church with joy in our hearts, and we count it an absolute privilege to do this, or we ought to count it a privilege to do this to serve God, to serve one another, and to do so with an attitude of gratitude and joy. Uh, fourthly, intentional excellence. Uh, we serve one another not thinking that we will ever be perfect. It's not about perfectionism. But instead, we give our very best as God has given us his, given us his very best. Uh, and then fifthly, irrational generosity. So we give of our finance, we give of our talent, we give of our time, uh, and we do so recognizing that this is a generous act that we do. Uh, so much so that it doesn't make sense to our watching world around us. They look at how we live. They look at how generous we are. And for them, it makes no sense. It's irrational. But it's, for us, it's an act of worship. And then finally, uh, worshipful rest. So God forbid that we are ever a people who rest and rest. God, help us to be a people who rest in you, who rest in Christ. And in resting in Christ, we worship Christ. We find our rest in him. So this is culture. This is culture. This is, this is who we ought to be. This should be the mentality and the actions of Denison Baptist Church. And I say should because none of us are perfect. We're always going to fall short in various ways. But we should pursue this. We should pursue this kind of culture, not on our own strength, but as God sets us on fire. God sets us ablaze with his love for his glory and for our good. And the overflow of that is this kind of culture, this kind of living. And the reality is, some of us are not on fire today. And I see it. It breaks my heart to see because God has so much more for us. I'm saying that of myself first and foremost. We need to be alive in Christ. And it is God by his spirit 
who sets us on fire. Um, understand my heart uh, as, as a pastor here. If I ever challenge in any way, like today, it's not because I want to get more stuff done. It's not because I want to get more tasks completed or because of some other reason. It's because I want each one of us to fall more and more in love with Jesus. To fall in love with Jesus in a way that we've never experienced before. That's my heart. I hope that's your heart as well. That we would be a people who ever increasingly fall in love with and find satisfaction in our Savior. That's, that's something that we should all pursue within our lives. And you might have realized this afternoon, as I've, lift, as I've listed these seven gospel habits, uh, I missed one out. And I did that intentionally because the one I missed is the one we're going to focus on uh, today. The reality is if we don't get this particular one right, then nothing of who we are or what we do will ever be faithful or fruitful for Christ. Uh, the gospel habit we're going to take time to look at this afternoon is total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. Uh, total forgiveness as a central way in which we can display a healthy church culture to God, to one another, and to a watching world. Now, if someone outside the life of Denison Baptist Church was to ask someone who was a part of the church what the culture of the church was like, what is it that they would say? What would they say? Someone from the outside, ask someone from the inside, what is this church like? What would they say? Would they say something to the effect of this? Uh, we are a people who totally forgive one another, having been totally forgiven by God. It's not just something that people mentally affirm to. I see it practiced and lived out on a regular basis. Would that person say that to the outsider? Or maybe another way of saying it would be this. We're a people who wholeheartedly love one another, having been wholeheartedly loved by God. Or perhaps a more helpful, or maybe just a different way of saying it would be this. We're a people who never stop showing grace to one another, having never stopped receiving grace from God. You know, to totally forgive someone is to wholeheartedly love them, which is to be someone who never stops showing grace to them. And this is really at the heart of what it is that we read within our passages, both from the writings of the Apostle Paul and from the words of Jesus himself. This was so important to New Testament culture, so it has to be vitally important for Denison Baptist Church. If total forgiveness, constantly showing grace, Loving people wholeheartedly was central to the New Testament. Then who are we to then say, thanks for that, but I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do something different. No, we have to reflect the New Testament. And if we're honest this afternoon, is it not the case that we're all like Peter? We're all like Peter in this passage in Matthew 18. The parable that Jesus shares is initiated by the question from Peter in Matthew 18 in verse 21. So Peter asked Jesus, he asks a simple question, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. As Peter actually is he's patting himself in the back here. He's thinking, I'm doing a good job here. I'm, I'm suggesting seven times. He's trying to impress Jesus. He's trying to impress the disciples. He thinks he's being generous because the cultural norm of Peter's day was a maximum forgiveness of three times. Basically, three strikes and you're out. And like Peter, we all, we all from time to time set our moral limits. We see Jesus' response of 70 times 7, which means that we should totally forgive someone all of the time. 
in every scenario, in every circumstance, we see that. And instead of surrendering to this, his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we let emotion drive our actions. And so we say to God, and maybe even to others, something to the effect of this, God, or to someone else, God, you do not understand how much this person has hurt me. It is too difficult. It is impossible for me to forgive this person. I cannot forgive him this time. Yes, I forgave him that time and that time and that time, but this time, no chance. And I think it's important for me to say this afternoon, I get it. I get the power of that. I know what it's like to be so bitter and angry towards someone that all you want to do is to end that, that relationship, to walk away from that friendship, to hold on to bitterness, to be consumed by rage towards him, to have these imaginary conversations with him. There's a strange, strange satisfaction to be found when we carry unforgiveness. But the satisfaction will be short term. Ultimately, it will destroy us in the end. That's the reality. I had this kind of weird moment when I was writing this sermon, and I've still not got an answer to why this has happened, but I typed the word uh, unforgiveness into my pages document in my MacBook, which is a Word document, and it didn't recognize the word unforgiveness. I got a red squiggly line every time I typed unforgiveness. And that's us, is it not? We're like my daft computer. We're in, un we're in denial that unforgiveness exists. Um, there are some of you here this afternoon who are carrying unforgiveness in your heart. And some of it is deep, deep, deep unforgiveness. But you're in denial about it. It might be with someone in the church. It might be with someone in your family. It might be a friend. It might be a neighbor. It might be a work colleague. It might be someone you no longer talk to. My invitation to you this afternoon is this. Do not put a red squiggly line under the word unforgiveness within your heart. Don't do it. Recognize that unforgiveness can be and is a real problem in your life today. I'm thankful that, that Jesus gave us a parable, gave us a story to help us understand the importance of real and genuine forgiveness. <clears throat> and what I find fascinating from this passage is that Jesus equates forgiveness with the kingdom of heaven. That's amazing. I find that incredible that the more and more we forgive, the more and more the kingdom of God will become a reality in our lives. Paul says the opposite. He says, do not give the enemy a foothold in your life. So we are, we're actually inviting Satan and the demonic into our lives if we carry unforgiveness in our hearts. So the more we forgive, the more the kingdom of God will be a reality in our lives. And that just makes us alive. If we were a people who consistently and wholeheartedly forgave all the time, this church would more and more be alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that not the culture we want? Do we not want that culture? Yeah. So starting in verse 23 of Matthew 18, having answered Peter's question, Jesus then tells a story. And I find this story fascinating. He says this, For this reason, verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. 
Let's just stop there for a moment. The servant owed 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent today of 100 billion pounds. The servant owed 100 billion pounds. Basically, it was utterly impossible for this servant to pay this debt back. He was in the hands and in the mercy of this king. And take stock of what Jesus is saying here. Our debt of sin is like a hundred billion pounds. In fact, it's so much greater than that. The point is this, we cannot pay it back. We cannot pay our debt of sin back. In our own sin and in our own brokenness, we are in irretrievable debt before God. And it's not something that we can fully comprehend unless God by his spirit convicts us and his word reveals this to us. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, uh, says this about our own sinfulness before this holy God. He says this, a crucial question we should ask is not why God finds it difficult to forgive, but how he finds it possible to do so at all. The reason why many people give the wrong answers to questions about the cross and even ask the wrong questions is that they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. If human beings have sinned, which they have, and if they are responsible for their sins, which they are, then they are guilty before God. Guilt is a logical deduction from the premises of sin and responsibility. We have done wrong by our own fault and are therefore liable to bear the just penalty of our wrongdoing. So picture this for a moment. We, we all sit here and at some point in our lives, we all sat with our, in our hands an invoice for a hundred billion pounds and we had absolutely no ability to pay it back. Some of us can't even afford a hundred pound, that's me. <laughs> Deep down, we all know this is true. And we all know that we have this, this, this debt we, we cannot pay back. It is spiritually impossible. Think about your own thought life for a moment. Think about what it is you think. Think about day after day in the past and now, does it always reflect the standard of a holy and righteous God? Think about what comes out of your mouth from time to time. Are you always glorifying God with your words? Do we need to go on this afternoon? Do we consistently act in a way that is pleasing to God? Or do we act in a way that often is displeasing, both acts of omission and acts of commission? Well, the servant in this story responds in a particular way, and this is what we read in verses 26 to 27. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. And this is such a powerful reminder of what it is that Paul writes in Colossians 2, 14. Uh, Paul says this, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Take stock of that this afternoon. Jesus has paid our debt by giving his own life for you and for me. And in that visible and powerful act, Jesus says to every single one of us today, I love you and I forgive you. I love you and I forgive you. If we could only hear those words each and every day we have, God loves me. God forgives me, I'm free. I'm free to then live for him with all that I am. We no longer need to worry about this debt. It's been paid for us. We are fully forgiven, praise God for that. 
But look at this servant's response. Have a look at how it is he then acts in verse 28. That servant went out and found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. So the servant was owed so much less than what he owed the king. The servant owed about, was owed about 1,000 pounds. He owed 100 billion, and he was owed 1,000 pounds. And yet, he grabs the guy, he chokes him, and he shouts, pay what you owe. I mean, he goes proper mafia on this guy. And it gets worse. Have a look at what we read in verses 29 to 30. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And if, let's, let's really be honest this afternoon. If we were to read that openly and honestly, we would say this afternoon that this servant has lost all sense of perspective. He has had this debt paid, paid for him, and yet he is not willing to forgive a much smaller debt. And so he throws him into prison, demanding this money. But think for a moment how much we have sinned against a holy and righteous God and how ready and willing we are ready to receive his forgiveness, his love, and his grace. And praise God, we do receive that. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his love. We receive his mercy. We receive his grace. And we are invited to receive that because of the cross. But how then does God's loving, gracious, and abundant forgiveness towards us over a catalog of sins that are so much greater, how does that then match up with the fact that we are unwilling to forgive others for the sins that they commit against us? Sins that are in no way comparable to our sins before God. How does it match up? We have been forgiven, and yet we are unwilling to forgive those who have hurt us. It makes no sense. Like the servant, we have lost all sense of perspective when it comes to unforgiveness. This parable comes with a serious warning for us because as we, continu as we continue to read, we see the consequences of an unforgiven heart. And Jesus says from verse 31 onwards, when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now this is serious stuff that we read in this parable. And for each one of us, as we apply this parable to our lives, let me just warn every single one of us, including myself, there is a very real possibility that if you and I say that we love and follow Jesus, but we still carry unforgiveness in our hearts, then we have not fully and completely understood God's love and forgiveness. And we are still in our sin and we are still separate from God. This is what the parable implies. It will not cut it to say that we... We prayed a prayer at some point in our lives, maybe five years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We prayed that prayer, and now we have this get-out-of-hell-free card. That, that's not the Christian faith. Yes, we, we pray, we ask Jesus into our lives, but then we need to live a cruciform life in the power of the Spirit. 
and we choose to live a life of forgiveness and not unforgiveness, the fruit of our life points to the fact around whether or not we truly got it in the first place. If you understand the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God, then you'll be someone who is gracious, you'll be someone who is merciful, you'll be someone who forgives, and it will be total forgiveness, not partial forgiveness. And to not live in this way is to perhaps say you've never understood it in the first place. Yes, you said you love Jesus. Yes, you said you'll follow Jesus. Yes, you chose to get baptized and become a member, but none of it means anything if you still carry unforgiveness in your heart. And I recognize that's a really difficult thing to hear this afternoon. But maybe we are faithful followers of Christ today. Maybe we do love and follow Jesus genuinely and wholeheartedly, but we still struggle with unforgiveness. And we all struggle with unforgiveness from time to time. It is a battle going on in our hearts. It's a daily battle sometimes. And Paul recognizes this in our passage in Ephesians. It's why Paul writes what he writes in Ephesians 4 in our passage. He does this to highlight the challenge we face, the difficulty we face. And he understood that in the context of a church family, we are going to find one another difficult from time to time. If there's genuine fellowship going on, then we're going we're gonna to find one another difficult. We are going to be offended by one another from time to time. That's the reality. And we are going to be tempted to speak ill of one another from time to time, to even slander and gossip about one another. And Paul recognized this. He recognized this is a danger for a local healthy church, but there was a better way, a way that was rooted in the gospel, a way which would mean that the culture of the kingdom of God would be the culture of the local church. So as we move on from Matthew to Ephesians, can it be said that this is what marks and characterizes the the culture of Denison Baptist Church as we think about this passage? So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, a question I'm asking myself, a question I'm asking every single one of us today, are you and I a people who put away all falsehood and lying? As members of one another, do we speak truth to each other? Verse 25, could you say this afternoon that if you are ever angry, it's righteous anger, and you're someone who doesn't let the sun go down on your anger, verses 26 to 27, Does foul language come out of your mouth or is it only for what is good and gracious in order to build one another up? Verse 31, verse 29, sorry. Are you bitter about something? Are you bitter about someone? Is there wrath in your heart? Is there sheer rage in your heart about something that that someone might have said or done? Do you slander other people in this church or elsewhere? Verse 31, Or are you someone who is kind, someone who is compassionate, someone who forgives, verse 32. And before you you think to yourself, well, Mark, that sounds a lot of be better, try harder, works righteousness, that kind of thing. My response would be this. I've just echoed what it is that Paul writes here in our passage in Ephesians. I've basically just said what Paul says here. And my response to you this afternoon would be to rest in what Paul rests in here. Because notice he lists all these commands. And then at the end in verse 32, he says, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And that's a key phrase in this passage. In other words, the only way that any of what Paul writes, the the only way that is achievable 
is if you see and savor God in Christ, what he has done for you, how he has forgiven you, and how this can then result in you living this Ephesians 4, 25 to 32 kind of life. Unlike the servant in our parable, have we truly come to terms with the debt that has been paid on our behalf? Have we truly come to terms with it? And again, I've preached to myself before I've preached to any one of us today. As we close this afternoon, let me just invite you to three responses. And this is something that we're going to talk about a bit more in our missional communities. And if you want to be a part of a missional community and you're not, then do speak with me after our time and we can connect you uh, to one. But we want to be a church who truly wants to come to terms with how much we have been forgiven so that we can then love and forgive other people. That's just the, the simple message for this afternoon. And so hopefully our lives are marked by these three responses. Response number one, uh, letting the word of God fill us with the truth of forgiveness, this reality of forgiveness for the believer. And what I'm inviting you to do here is to not simply read a passage. Instead, my invitation to you is to camp out on the verses that speak of how depraved and lost we were in our sin, how much we deserved the penalty of death, and yet in spite of that, but God, he forgave us, he loved us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for each one of us so that we now are forgiven. Camp out in his verses, meditate on his words, savor and find satisfaction in all that God has done for us, and let the truth and power of the gospel be your regular mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual habitat. Take time to savor the incredible truth of God's forgiveness for you and for me. So let the truth of Scripture fill us with the reality of how much we have been forgiven. And then number two, ask God to completely change us <clears throat> so that we have the power to then live in forgiveness towards one another. And as the gospel becomes a reality, we see how much we have been forgiven and we come to God and we ask, God, change my heart. You know, I recognize how much I've been forgiven Help me to forgive this person. Help me to forgive that person. It could be something really small and silly or it could be something really serious or something in between that. God changes in such a way that we reflect the words of Ephesians 4. We would not have malice. We would not be bitter. We would not speak slander. We would not carry unforgiveness. Do not think that you can achieve this on your own strength. This is only ever through a work of the Holy Spirit as we seek him in prayer. So meditate on his word, seek him in prayer. And then finally, perhaps the most difficult thing to do, but definitely the most important, run to those who offend us. Not literally run. You might want to run if you want, that's fine. As long as they're okay with that. Or run to those who we think we have offended. This means actually talking to the people that we have difficulty with. And not doing it by text, not sending an email, face-to-face -face conversation. Listen, I want to chat to you about something that's been, been on my heart. It's been difficult for me. You said this, you did this. Or it might even be something you're convicted about in your own life, something you've said or done towards someone else. And you just want to take a moment to say, I'm, I'm really sorry for, for saying that. I know from time to time, it's, it's so much easier not to do this. It's so much easier to live out that spiritual gift of sulking that we all carry in our lives. You know, we can all sulk and be bitter. But how important it is to leave things unresolved and unspoken about 
It's not only going to leave you in chains. It's not only inviting the enemy into your life, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. It will destroy you. It will destroy your life. It will destroy the fellowship of this church. If all of us carry on forgiveness, how, how messed up would that be? For a non-believer, a new person to walk in, how broken we would be if we all carried unforgiveness in our hearts. This is not a game. This is no laughing matter. If you're offended by something or someone, if you're bitter about something or someone, there's only one option. Biblically, you have to address it. You have to speak to the person face to face. There was a film called uh, Changing Lanes. It's a story of a, a Wall Street lawyer played by Ben Affleck uh, and a recovering alcoholic played by Samuel Jackson. Uh, and they end up in their cars in rush hour in New York. They get into a crash. Uh, the lawyer basically leaves the scene. He doesn't share any details. Um, he doesn't resolve the cost of the damage that has been done. This is Ben Affleck. And it has huge implications for the character played by Samuel Jackson. He had an important court case, uh, custody of his children. It was a, a big decision had to be made around that. And what follows over the course of the film um, is, is the two of them, uh, through the course of this particular day, getting back at one another. So uh, Affleck does something and then Samuel Jackson does something back and it just becomes really messy. Some of it's quite comical, but some of it's a lot more serious. And the revenge they inflict on one another has serious, serious consequences for their lives until the very end of the film. Uh, they become really shaken by how far they've went. And at the end of the day, they sit down over a coffee, face to face, and they genuinely and authentically apologize to one another. They say, sorry, I'm sorry that I did this. I'm sorry that I did this. I'm sorry that I did this. And they take turns to do that. And that moment when they sit across from one another is powerful. I can't, I can't not watch it and not be deeply impacted by it. Like I, I watch it and I just sense there's, there's a, a hint, there's a smell of the gospel in this moment in the film. It reminds me of the fact that God has forgiven me, therefore I need to forgive other people. The debt he paid on our behalf is nothing compared to the debt that others may owe us. So my invitation to you is to resolve today to receive God's forgiveness and forgive. This is the culture that we're pursuing at Denison Baptist Church. I hope we more and more live this kind of way. We keep short accounts. We choose to forgive. So now is our opportunity to respond. And I recognize that today maybe forgiveness, this idea of forgiveness is completely new to you. And maybe that's because you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. Whether you're here or watching online, let me just encourage you, to come to him today. He is ready to forgive you of all of your sin. He is ready to forgive, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So invite him into your life today. And if you want to know what it means to do that, then speak, speak with me after the service. And maybe you're here today and you're recognizing, I'm, I'm finding it really difficult to forgive. This, this thing that's happened in my life, I, I can't let go of it. I would say to you, do not underestimate the importance of being prayed for. It's one thing asking God to help us, but to have someone else, another member of the church body pray for you about that, that's vital, that's so important. So do speak with myself, with Paul or with TJ, uh, or with someone you know who loves the Lord, and we would count it a privilege to pray with you about that. Uh, there's maybe something that 
you're struggling with uh, this afternoon. Maybe you would like to receive prayer uh, for healing. Maybe you're struggling with an illness or an ailment. We believe in the God who can heal, who does heal. Then do speak with me. Um, we would take time to listen, to pray, and to trust that God has a plan and a purpose in the midst of what you're facing. And we would ask in faith that Jesus would heal you. And ultimately, it's God who determines the outcome of that. Uh, this afternoon, we also uh, come to the table. And I hope, as we've talked about forgiveness, I hope we, we see the connection between who we are as a body and why we come to this table. We come to this table, and this table symbolizes God's forgiveness for each one of us. So what are we doing as we come to this table, as we take this bread, as we drink this cup? Well, it was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So as we take this bread, as we drink this cup, what are we doing? We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. So there's great anticipation. There's great anticipation. We come to this table and we look forward to the day when God will wipe away every tear, that forgiveness will be a living, full and complete reality for each one of us. So let us take, let us drink, let us remember, let us rejoice, let us consider how much we have been forgiven and let us consider how important it is to forgive one another. This is the culture of Denison Baptist Church. Let it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we, we ask that, that you would take this time now as, as we have uh, spent time digging into your word. We, we pray that, that you would now dig into our hearts and just remove anything in our hearts that should not be there, any weeds, anything that, that, should, that, that doesn't bring glory to you. Lord, we know deep down that it's there and only you can remove it. So we come to you and ask that you would remove it for us. We come to you and recognize that that's only ever possible because you died for us. So help us, Lord, to receive. Help us to respond as we sing. Help us to respond as we come to this table. Help us to respond as we pray and as we have fellowship. We love you, Lord. We ask that you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.